Romans chapter 2, the 19th sermon as we continue to look at the Apostle Paul, his credible letter to the Romans. When last we met, we went in depth with verse number 5, and let me read that verse to you again. We'll pray, and then we'll continue on tonight, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, we are going to hopefully get as many verses, I think, as we've been able to. Uh, my goal tonight is to do verse 6 through 11. Uh, the reason being, they all go together. It's kind of hard not to do this together. And for the sake of not sowing any confusion or uh, missing the point that the apostle was making, we'll try our best to get to all this. We'll just be a little bit more brief on these verses. Uh, let's go ahead and read Romans 2, 5 through 11. We'll get this thought in our hearts. We'll pray and then ask the Lord to break the bread as we study together. Romans 2, 5 through 11. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds... To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for the glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Then there's a colon there. Pay attention to how he's structuring this. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man, that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we come back into your presence and God, we're humbled, we're honored to be here together, the unified body of Christ. Take this moment, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, God, to the word, and Lord, that you would use it to change our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray together, amen and amen. The righteous indignation of Jesus that was evident with the man with the withered hand, we talked about that in depth. We even took time to go to that story the Pharisees that were in that synagogue who saw the man with the withered hand, the crippled hand, and yet they had no compassion, they had no love. Rather, they saw the man who had the withered hand, the crippled, mangled hand, and instead of being compassionate towards them or showing this man pity, these people chose to use it as an opportunity to see if Jesus would break their rules, their regulations, their interpretation of the law, and Jesus knows their heart, he knows what they're thinking, and he instantly uh, does what they thought he would do, but gives them such a, uh, a powerful statement in that moment that it really leaves them crippled. It's the righteous indignation, the displeasure with human sin. And for us as Christians, as God's people, when we see something in this world that's broken, when we see something in this world that's evil, when we see an injustice, when we see sin that's elevated, sin that's propagated, and it brings us to a place of indignation, 
uh, that's a healthy sign that you are right with God. If you look at something and you know good and well, that goes against what the Bible says. It goes against the character and the nature of God. And you look at it at the correct place, it's a healthy thing. It's not from a place of pride. It's not that I'm better than they are, but rather that the God I serve that called me from death into life, from darkness to light, that he is better than that. And he is the polar opposite of evil. He is righteousness, goodness, and he is the standard. And so we saw that come out in Jesus. You see that again uh, with Jesus as he cleanses the temple, the money changers. He flips over the tables. He has whip in hand. He is righteously angry. And he did the same there with the man with the withered hand, the hearts of the Pharisees in that moment. And it's the hardness of their heart that we talk about in depth. We've got to get this said yet again. I see some new faces tonight, and I think it's important. I think it's vital that we hide this truth in our heart every time we study the Word of God. Everything that you find in the Bible... The holy, inspired, infallible word of God is just that. It's truth. There are elements to every single human being that's born skeptical. There is something within the Adamic nature that goes back to the fall in the Garden of Eden that keeps you, that subverts you, that holds you down in a way from truth. There's something even within our own selves that works against us receiving the truth. Oftentimes when we are shown the truth or the light is shown to us, there's a rebellious nature that comes because we know we stand in need of change. And when we expose ourselves to truth, we have to look at God's word as that, that every single word in this book is truth. That there's nothing in here that has error. There's nothing within the word of God that's fallible. There is no mistake within the holy inspired word of God. And what the apostle Paul is giving us is not from his own mind. This letter that has been canonized, brought together into scripture, uh, God holy and divinely put this in our Bible for a reason and for a purpose. And if you're a student of the word of God, the book of Romans is your best tool guide. It is your study guide. It is your textbook of systematic theology for what it means to be a Christian. Sanctification is found here. Justification is found here. The coming glorification of bodies who were dead, that were made alive, who are still in flesh waiting for that moment where they're in heaven with Christ for all of eternity. All of those principles are their base foundation somehow is rooted somewhere in this text, this letter of Romans. Everything that the apostle Paul here is giving us is truth. And he's talking here about the wrath of God that's been revealed against people. He has divided this. Remember, this is the structure of this letter. He's divided the wrath of God against the Gentiles. He's divided it against the Jew. He's divided against even the subsects of Gentiles, the pagans, those that were barbarians. In that day and hour, there were people who did things that you cannot even say from this pulpit in mixed company, wicked people, vile people. And he is giving them the truth of what's just taken place not too long ago in Jerusalem, that there is a Jesus Christ of Nazareth who has come, 
He has died. He has resurrected himself in power for the glory of the Father. He has had a 40-day ministry and now has ascended into heaven and is alive forevermore. This is what the letter of Romans is based on. It's the truth. It's everything that we believe and hold near and dear. Now, when we get past verse number five and we understand the principle that God is storing up wrath and that we are storing up that wrath for ourselves, there are two types of people that he's speaking to in verses six through 10. Two types of people. You have the redeemed, those who are blood-bought, born again, and on their way to heaven. And then you have the unredeemed who have not had their sin forgiven. They're dead in trespass of sin. The Bible says for the wages of sin is what? Death. There is a problem. There is an issue. There is a tax that they cannot pay, a debt that they cannot pay. Save Christ, change their life forever. And he's talking about the fact that God is a holy God, a righteous God who knows every action, every thought, every deed of every person that's ever been born in the entire world from the beginning of time until today. That is the enormity and the grandeur and the power and the mind of God that he knows everything you've ever thought everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, every manipulation, every lie, everything that's ever come up in thought or in your heart, God's aware of it. And God sees imperfect people like me, like Winston, who was broken, who was dead, and who was on his way to an eternity without Christ. And the Holy Ghost of God came by my way and saved me. There is a difference in living in this life. Yes, remember now, still under the judgment of God for someone who is saved than someone who is not. The point is this. My challenge to you tonight as we go through this and we try our best to get through all of this is to know that you know, that you know, that you know that your name has been recorded in the Lamb's book of life. That if you were to pull out onto Shelburne Road tonight and a truck was to hit you, that we could have a funeral in here in just a few days. And instead of it being a funeral of people who weep and mourn with no hope, that it could be an opportunity to celebrate the life God give you and weep and mourn as people who do have hope. There's a difference in living this life with Christ in proper place and living this life with Christ not in his proper place. Every action has some sort of tangible, measurable, obvious result that sometimes you cannot even see with the naked eye, but God sees every single bit of it. God sees what could have been. God sees the missed opportunities. God sees the consequence of disobedience. And you've got to get this in heart as we go through these next few chapters that God has expectations of his children, of his people. God is a perfect God and in that perfection, he's a jealous God. He expects something of me. And scripture everywhere teaches, this is the truth, that your salvation, 
Listen now, it's so important. Number one, it's important what I say right here. Number two, it's important that you hear exactly what the Holy Ghost of God is saying in this scripture tonight. Your salvation is not based on works. Let me say it one more time for clarity's sake, those that are watching online. Your salvation is not based on works. You cannot pay your way in good deeds to heaven. Well, I'm a good person. I'm nice to the folks at work. I'm a good mom. I'm a good dad. I, I come to church faithfully. I'm here in a blue chair. Good works, good deeds, good actions, human righteousness cannot suffice. It cannot pay the debt that you owe for your sin. You say, well, I don't really have any sin. Have you ever even thought about bringing harm to someone? Have you ever allowed a word to come out of your mouth that should not have come out of your mouth? Have you ever held a grudge against someone? Have you ever been vicious towards somebody? Have you ever lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever stole? Have you ever done anything that goes against the principle and the laws of God? The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us has this debt the moment that we're born. This is part of, again, the Adamic nature. And scripture teaches us it is not our actions, it is not our deeds that is the antithesis or the substance of our salvation. But church, hear me clearly. God is very interested in your actions, your deeds, and what you do. God is interested in how you live your life. He's interested in what you do with your time. He's interested in how you invest in your children. He's interested in how you read this precious word he's given to you to sustain your life. He's interested in what you watch, what you listen to, what comes out of your mouth, what goes in your mouth. God is interested in the actions and the affairs and the deeds of every person that is on earth. And he will judge both classes of people, the saved and the unsaved. He will judge it. He will grade it. He will look at it with holy lenses, holy eyes, and only he is able to fully assess what's really in our hearts. You see, words are powerful. Words can be spoken. Words can be animated. Words can have depth. Words can be broad. Words can mean all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, God is not interested in my words. God is interested in my heart. And from my heart comes the deeds of my life. The words that I speak. The way that I live my life. And God will always keep a record He is interested in what we do. And Paul is describing the deeds of these two distinct groups, the redeemed and the unredeemed. And then he gives two designations, the Jew and the Gentile. Both times the Jews mentioned first. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. But notice that the Jew is mentioned first and then the Gentile. In both reward and in judgment. Are you paying attention to that? Boy, if you're a student of the word of God, that ought to light something inside of you. God is paying attention to those who are redeemed and unredeemed. And he is rewarding those, the Jew first and then the Gentile. And then he is judging those or punishing those, the Jew first 
and then the Gentile. Let me run this rabbit for 13 seconds. God is a God of order. God is a God of order. God is a God of structure. He's a God of authority. God has a way of doing things that are within his character. And God is so holy and God is so righteous that if God was to go against the nature of God, he couldn't be God. And because his word is true and he can't tell no lie, then you can take it to the bank that what he's giving us through in holy inspired scripture, the writing of pen, that this is absolute 100% fact. If it's not, I have no business reading it. But this is the truth. And the truth is that God is interested in how you're living your life. He's interested in how I'm living my life. And he is keeping a record and he will judge accordingly. You say, well, I don't really participate in religious action. I, I'm on the outside looking in. My children are here. My grandchildren are here. I'm just here to put up with you for a few minutes. Let them have their fun and we're going to go home. That's fine. That's all well. And you may even have people around you fooled and you may even have the right words to say when you're greeted at the door or come supper time. But at the end of the day, you cannot lay your head on the pillow and not think for one moment, you must hear this come out of my mouth, that God doesn't know exactly where you are and what you're thinking and what the motivations and the intentions of your heart are. God knows. It's a big God who knows a lot of things that I never will. Look what he says in verse number seven. This is Romans two, verse number seven. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Eternal life. Every single person in this room, I want everybody in here to say amen. amen. Every single person in this room worshiping online, no matter how old you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter your college education, your pedigree, your skin color, it does not matter. Every single person in this room, every single person in the 828, every single person that lives on Haywood Road, every single person that lives in Arden, Spartanburg, Tennessee, every single person is going to spend eternity somewhere. You see, we hear eternal life and we think that that's reserved for Christians. No, everyone has eternal life. Everyone has eternal life. Everyone's going to live for eternity somewhere. But there is a difference, not just in the duration of what takes place, but also in quality of where you live for all of eternity. You see, eternity is forever. That is the duration. It never ends. But, but, but the, what you've got to absolutely know for certain is the quality and the condition of the place that you'll spend all of eternity. There's two options. There is no gray area. There is no sort of Eastern religion that's got it right that we go into the ground and come back as a, I don't know, a, a bulldog or a squirrel or whatever you want to put there. You can come up with all sorts of crazy things. I'm going to be reincarnated as a, a cow. I'm going to come back as a butterfly. No, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. 
And it, it better be that you know tonight before you leave, before you go to bed that you know exactly where because everyone will have eternal life. It will just depend on the condition of the place that you're going on what you will experience. One is with God, one is without God for all of eternity. Patient continuance in well-doing is the characteristic of those who will inherit, inherit eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, there is there's a difference in how the people who have eternal life in Christ Jesus live their lives versus the people who do not have eternal life in Christ Jesus and how they live their lives. There's a difference. There's a difference. People who have the truth, who have been made to come to life in Christ, the new birth, something takes place in that moment. It's not that you get your card or your stamp and then you go live however you want. No, the Apostle Paul's saying those folks that have inherited eternal life through and by Christ Jesus, that there is a lifestyle. There is something about those people. They do as unto the Lord, continuous. It's a characteristic, patient continuance in what? Patient continuance in well-doing. Say that with me. Well-doing. We're going to come back to that. Well-doing. Patient continuance. Verse number eight, read this. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, the Jew and the Gentile. God's keeping a good set of record books, church. You see, this world is broken, it's fractured, it's unraveling. And see, here's what's happening. We hear this a lot. I can't believe that things have gotten this bad. Who's heard something like that recently? I can't believe how dark it's gotten outside. I can't believe how evil it is outside. The truth is, church, it's always been that evil. It's always been that dark. The truth is that the, the, the mask, if you will, has come off of the enemy in a way that's unprecedented. Where the enemy tried to hide oftentimes and be subdued in certain areas and places. Now it's in our face as an aggressor, almost that lion, if you will, that's seeking to devour and consume people. The lion is out of the cage and it's in your face. That's what you feel is different. That's the pressure. And it's the sign of the times. The Bible gives us clear, obvious instruction on how to live in these days. As you see that day a coming, the approaching day, you see the whole reason we feel that pressure, the whole reason we are obviously witnessing the devouring of a generation, that homes are fracturing, that teenagers are turning away from God in droves in ways that they never have before. It's coming to an end. All of this is coming to the final moments, the final chapters. And if the devil can discourage the church and get the church to stop living in the way that Christians are to live, to conduct themselves, to love one another, as Pastor Dwight said, then what does he do? He stuffs us full of things that do not matter. He gets us distracted off the one thing that does matter. And he keeps the message of the gospel, the light of the glorious gospel, as Paul said, from shining to other people. We have the truth. We have the light of the glorious gospel. There are people, though, who are living in this world 
who will rebel against the truth. They'll rebel against the light. And one day, sadly, the Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and they will answer. And my God is so righteous and so holy that he cannot look upon unforgiven sin. That's his standard, not mine. The wages of sin is death. The redeemed and the unredeemed. Again, and I've said this multiple times in this study, especially in these first three chapters where there is so much condemnation. I thank God that my eyes have been opened, that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. It should change the way I live my life. The rebellion of men and women who refuse to surrender to the truth of who God is. Proverbs 14, 12, look at this verse. Boy, I need to hurry. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There it is again. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. There are a lot of people who think they have it figured out. That they have some sort of backroom deal with God. That them and the man upstairs, as I have heard so egregiously, have some sort of deal. Well, he knows my heart. He knows I'm a good guy. You may think that of yourself, but if you have not been changed... If you have not been saved gloriously, the Bible is clear that there is wrath that comes in its tribulation and anguish. And that's so much worse than anything we can imagine. That's eternity separated from God. Aren't you thankful you're saved tonight? Are you thankful that you're on your way to heaven? Amen. Matthew 7, look what Jesus said. He said, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many, this is so sad, and many there will be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few and few there be that find it. You see, many people think that both the narrow gate and the wide gate lead to the same entrance lead to the same opening that goes into God's kingdom. These do not represent the same destination. These are two different places, two different destinations, but only the narrow gate, the narrow gate that's constricted, the narrow gate that's precise, it's salvation by faith through Christ alone. That's the way that leads to life eternal through Christ Jesus, the wide gate, the way that seems right to a man. This is the path of least resistance. This is you living your life, doing what you want, when you want, how you want, and not worrying a bit about what's to come in eternity. Who's ever seen the old rope uh, example where someone has a really long coiled up rope and it's maybe 300, 400, 500 feet, and they take the very tip of that rope and they put one little strand of red electric tape at the end of that rope and they hold it up and they show you that one little strand of electric tape and there's all these hundreds of feet of rope. It would take them what would seem an hour to get to the end of that rope. And the example that's being given is uh, the little red tape at the very end of that rope. It's just a very minor part of that rope. It's 100 years. It's a hundred years. And it's what's 
represented in this life here. If you're blessed to have a hundred years, that one little red strand of electric tape at the end of that rope represents 100 years. And it represents the 100 years that you may potentially live on this earth. But behind that preacher, that, that pastor that had that, uh, that beautiful uh, illustration is hundreds of feet of rope. It seems like it never ends. That's eternity. And it never does end. And if the devil can confuse you and if the devil can distract you and convince you that all that matters is that one little red circle at the very tip of that rope, that 100 years, and keep everything that's coming out of your vision, then he's got you right where he wants you. That's why every decision you make, every friend that you have, every option that you choose to do with your children, your family, it has eternal consequences. And eternity is so much longer than anything we could ever experience here. This life, the Bible says, is a vapor. It's over before we know it. And what matters here in this life, the only thing that matters is what's done for Christ. And the people who have been blessed to be judged by God. Remember, we talked about that judge who looks at his children and judges them differently. Why does he judge them differently? Why? Because when he sees his children, all he sees is the blood of Christ and not the sins that would send them into eternity for all time and all eternity. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But when he looks at me, all he sees is blood. I don't have to go to final judgment, eternal damnation. I've been gloriously saved and I get judged differently. Are you seeing the truth of what he's saying to the Romans? The wide gate, Jesus said. It seems right to the man. And listen, church, it's easy. This is the path of least resistance. This is what costs you nothing. This is what keeps you comfortable. This is what may put more money in your account, your children on the best ball teams. It will always cost to do what's right as it pertains to this world but it will always cost you to do what's wrong in the sight of God. It's a way, it's a lifestyle. Church is not a box. It's who I am. It's what I live. Uh, church is not the building. Church is not the campus. I am the church. Now live it every day. That's the expectation. Look what Luke I love how he writes this. Go to Acts 4. It'll be on your screen if you don't want to turn. Look at this. Acts 4, 10 through 12. He says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. Let me read verse 12 again. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. No other way, no other gate, the narrow way, the straight gate that leads to salvation. And it changes a man. And it changes a woman. 
There's something inside of me that I did not have before I got saved that makes me want to please God. David, there's something inside of me that did not come from me. That something happened on a Wednesday night in 2005 in that old building that doesn't belong to me. That I want to honor and please God. That's living in the narrow way. And when I grieve him and when I disappoint him and when I bust up a wonderful moment of consistency of holiness and I, I, I charge to myself an infraction. It's not that he doesn't look at me as a son anymore. I can't lose my salvation. But you know what I have? I have a conscience. And when that conscience gets dirty... And when that conscience gets broken, and when that conscience is filthy, it builds a barrier between me and my father. And I can't hardly stand it. And people who are hungry for God moving in their life, working in their life, working in their family, moving in their church, those people, the moment they have that conscience that's no longer clean, the actions of those people, they go to their father quickly. They don't want a night to go by. I can't stand the thought of waking up and not being right with you. Daddy, here I am. I broke the window. I did what was wrong. I disobeyed. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And you know what the Bible says? He's faithful to forgive me so that I can get in my bed and lay on my pillow with a big smile on my face knowing where I'm going, where I'm going to spend eternity and that because of his sacrifice, I can have a clean conscience even in this old sin-sick, broken, nasty, filthy world that we're living in. That is judgment. That is mercy. That is grace beyond anything we can understand or put into words. And Jesus paid the price for it all to come to fruition. Can I have five more minutes? Go to verse number nine. He says, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. That's not me. I don't say that from a place of pride. But that's not me, Donna. I won't ever feel that. I'll never live in the tribulation. I'll be gone. G-O-N-E, gone. I'll be at supper. I won't be here. I'll be gone. Tribulation and anguish. Do you know what there is not any of according to God's word in heaven? Tears. The Bible says he will wipe away every tear. That part's not for me. But I don't say that from a high horse of self-righteousness. I say that from a place of pity for those who do not have the right to say that who will feel the tribulation, who will feel the wrath of God poured out upon them. And look what he says. Now remember who we're talking about. This is the apostle Paul. What was his name before? Saul, triple educated, four or five languages at least, a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was in, he was the man sitting in the corner looking at the man with a withered hand with a broken, fractured heart. Something happened to him. Look what he says, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. The Jew first, just as the Jews were first given the opportunity to hear and respond to the message of Jesus. Remember, the Jews had access first. 
They're the apple of his eye. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David followed all the way to who? Jesus. The Jew first. They're his people. We got grafted in. You see, I did not deserve to even be a part of the equation. I was an old Gentile dog. Didn't even deserve to be a part of the equation. He could have saved all of the Jews and left me blind and broken and damned me just like he did Pharaoh. And he would have been just as righteous and holy as he is today. But in grace and in mercy, he took Gentile Jews and all of us put us together, grafted us in this one family. Somebody in this Baptist church say, praise God. Yeah, you didn't even have a right. You had no bloodline, no lineage, but you got adopted and you got grafted in. But he said to the Jew first comes the reward and to the Jew first comes the judgment. Look what Amos 3.2 says. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. He says, you only. This is God speaking through his man to his people. You only have I known. My Lord. You only have I known. I don't love anybody like I love you. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. I love you. I've known you and you only. Therefore, therefore, what does it say? I will punish you for all your iniquities. You say, that doesn't sound like a very loving father. I'm so thankful that my God is a God who loves me enough to punish me for my wrongdoings. And that a God that could have been so different in fairness, so different with grace, so different with mercy, did something I could not even comprehend on my behalf. And this is where we close. I want you to go to Romans 9. We're going to jump ahead. We're going to come back to this in a different aspect, but jump ahead. Romans 9, 3 through 4. This is Paul's perspective on who the Jew was to him personally. He's talked about this Jew first, the Gentile also. But let's look at this. This is straight into Paul's heart. Look what he says. Paul is saying, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Okay, I've got to tell you, if you've never studied that verse out, you've got to understand how potent what he just said is. The word he uses there, accursed, is anathema. Anathema. It means this, to be eternally damned, eternally separated from God. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ. I would take their hell for my brethren, my Jew brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God 
and the promises. That's strong. This is just yet another glimpse, another reminder. The verse that Brother Arthur read right before we sang, you are a chosen people, a peculiar people, a holy generation. God's given Christians, God's people, his children, an opportunity to live in this broken world with a different outlook and perspective than anyone in this world has. The end result is radically different for those who do good. For them, there will be glory, honor, and peace. And then he goes on and closes this and he says in verse number 11, for there is no respect of persons with God. That literally means to receive face or for God to put value in something that you are. That is to give consideration to someone because of position, of wealth, of influence, of popularity, of appearance. God's nature is to be just. And it's impossible for him to be anything but impartial. We're all judged according to our actions and according to our salvation. And if you think about it in depth, this is the fairness of God. You see, here's the truth. God can't be bought out. You ever thought about that? God can't be bought out. God can't be impressed with you. Uh-oh. God can't be impressed with me. There's nothing within myself other than what he's put in me himself that's worth talking about. And God is no respecter of persons. All he sees is salvation, full and free, that's been imparted, and then judges accordingly. It's so important how we live our lives. And then let me just give you this encouragement as we go home. Galatians 6, 9 He says, and let us not be weary in, there it is again, well-doing. For in due season we shall reap, but there's a qualifier, if we faint not. And there are days when well-doing seems impossible. Pressure, stress, tactics of Satan, attacks of the mind. But he said to sow and you would reap but sow in the spirit and reap in his kingdom. The the other way of putting this is if you're in a difficult place, if you're in a hard position, if life has thrown you a bit of a curveball and you're having a hard time figuring it out, if you'll just be faithful to obey him and trust him, then on the back end of it, he promises that you will reap what you have sown. God will honor you. God will honor exactly what you do with the time that you're given, the resources, the light, and the truth that you have and that you possess. Now go and do something with it for his glory. Are you thankful tonight that you're saved? Are you thankful tonight for the truth of his word? Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we give it to you again. We ask you to change our lives. God, to open it further this week and study. God, as we go back and read these verses, Lord, that you would just continue, God, to change our lives, improve our hearts, our mind. God, take over our motivations. Our heart, our cry is to please you in all that's said and all that's done in our lives. Thank you for saving me. 
Thank you for opening my eyes. Thank you for giving me a desire to please you and to want to make you happy with the way I live my life. Lord, thank you for our children, our teenagers that are next door. God, for the delicious meal that we had this evening. Lord, bless that kitchen team. Lord, thank you for their labor of love tonight that we all took part in. Lord, bless us. Keep us safe until the Lord's day. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.